The Internet of Things, or IoT, has become the next big thing. However, the interconnectedness of the various technologies comprising IoT presents companies with new challenges when it comes to protecting their intellectual property interests. Finnegan partners Aaron Capron and Kenny Ho join us now to provide insight on the rapidly expanding IoT landscape and the different strategies available to companies to help protect their intellectual property. Aaron, what is the Internet of Things and what are the main intellectual property concerns companies face? There are different definitions for different people in different industries. Generally, IoT is a network of physical objects, each embedded with electronics, sensors, network capability, enabling them to report data about themselves to anyone over the Internet. And there are many technology layers that are involved. You have the mainframe level, the client-server level, the Internet. And on top of that, you have the infrastructure. You have the mobile, social, big data, and cloud technologies. Now, these technology layers then create a huge IoT ecosystem leading to personal optimization, such as personal device and wearables, to local optimization, such as smart cars, smart homes, and smart factories, to global optimization, such as smart grids, smart cities, and smart services. And it is such a growing market, as it is believed that by the end of 2019, there will be over 30 billion IoT devices. Considering at the end of 2015 there was about 12 billion devices, it shows how much growth is in this area over the foreseeable future. Right now we are seeing manufacturing, healthcare, and financial services dominate this market. And this is not surprising as we are seeing wearables, digital wallets, devices on your car that can monitor your driver habits all pop up in services and items that are being provided to consumers. Where it will go is anyone's guess, but it's projected that using the IoT device could lead to personalized medicine. It could also lead to patients being discharged earlier so that they can go home where patients are still being monitored more proactively at their homes. I also saw an interesting ad by Ernst & Young that said, when fridges reorder food, will we still need supermarkets? That's a great question. It shows how transformative the IoT technology could be. Now, when it comes to IP, my biggest concern is that there are so many companies getting to the space that it could be problematic if these companies, especially the smaller ones, do not pursue at least some form of IP protection. I could see some of the larger ones pushing the smaller ones aside. We saw that initially in the Honeywell Nest conflict where Honeywell introduced its own smart thermostat and sued Nest for patent infringement. Using its own patents and some patents purchased from others, Nest was able to push back against Honeywell. Now, it's my understanding that the lawsuit is still pending, but if Honeywell's goal was to litigate its upstart rival, Nest, out of business, Nest patents in my opinion, made that very difficult for them. And I also saw from a Forbes article recently that Nest patents were also a key attraction in the company's eventual acquisition by Google. Kenny, traditionally, what pieces of technology could be patented and what claims could companies make? Under the patent statute, there are basically four main technological areas that you can patent on. That's a machine, articles of manufacture, a process, and a composition of matter. Now, in the electronics area, electrical area, where I view IOTs to me, the main category it's in. Typically, that meant things like electronic hardware devices, such as sensors or antennas or circuits and electrical components, network devices, that sort of thing, and new processes for using these type of electronic or electrical devices. So that's typical in terms of what a layman typically views as a patentable invention. I think, however, IoT will lead to a new area, or if not new, then an additional area of uh, patented inventions where you're looking at use cases and software algorithms. That raises a whole other issue of uh, patent law, which 
you don't typically encounter in more of the traditional type of pens, like the hardware components and the uh, processes and methods of using these hardware components. And Kenny, how does the Internet of Things business model differ from the traditional model? When we talk about business models, we're really talking about how does a company make money? I see at least three business models for IoT in uh, making money, generating revenue, that some of them are similar to the traditional model, but some of them are very different. The first is using IoT to reduce costs of manufacture and maintenance of existing products. You can use IoT sensors to help improve the manufacturing process through the data collection and optimization of the manufacturer process. You can use IoT sensors and IoT technology to improve maintenance of existing products that are out there because the data can be used to monitor the life cycle of the product, how well the product is performing, and then you can schedule maintenance in a better way to make the product last longer, thereby reducing cost overall to a company and improving profits that way. The second model would be to add IoT sensors to existing or new products and collect the sensor data from these products and then sell that data for third parties to use however they see fit to form analytics, generate uh, predictions, or uh, generate new services from that data. Those two models are, I view, as sort of more traditional business models. They're they're using IoT in the sense that before IoT existed, uh, you wouldn't have this type of business model. But I think the third business model is where the new business model and the new innovation in the business world will come from. And this is already happening. It's to use IoT to deliver new service-oriented solutions that are completely different from the traditional product business model. The traditional model is that you makes and sells a product to consumers, and then the consumers, when they buy the product based on whatever features are being offered by that product, that tells the manufacturer what they're interested in, what the consumer is interested in. And so the manufacturer incorporates those features into its new product lines and from there sells new products with those new features. It's sort of a one-time delivery of a product and then generating a new product line based on the sales. The IoT business model takes that and makes it a service solutions-oriented model where the one-time sale of the product is less important. It's really the lifetime of the products used by the consumer as the product is reporting data about itself and the consumer's usage and the environments that it's in and sending it back to the manufacturers in real time, which then allows the manufacturers or or service providers to then optimize the product, deliver uh, new features to the product, whether it's through software updates or even hardware replacement parts into the product. That's the new IoT service-oriented solutions business model. That's what's going to change a lot of the world. Aaron, how do companies go about protecting this business model using intellectual property? Companies will need to properly vet their technology based on a number of criteria to determine which innovations are worth pursuing. For example, does the innovation provide a competitive advantage? How different is the innovation from known practices? The ease of reverse engineering the innovation? The ability to detect whether a competitor copies the innovation and the value of the innovation to competitors, business partners, or possible licensees. For some of the IoT companies on the back end, it may be harder to reverse engineer or determine whether a competitor is copying. These and the other criteria mentioned earlier can help companies determine whether to pursue a patent or maintain a trade secret. But for those IoT companies providing products to consumers or providing services in the middle, it may be easier to determine whether copying is occurring. Now, if a patent is worth pursuing, it's necessary to include as much detail as warranted into the application. Long gone are the days where you could claim a device based solely on its functionality. 
as the U.S. Patent Office and the courts are cracking down on this behavior or what they call as functional claiming. Um, you'll need to include specifics such as types of sensors used, the types of algorithms and or databases used, et cetera, to help your claim survive. I think we saw this recently in the Fitbit ITC case where Fitbit claims were invalidated for not describing the components involved with the functions claimed. Moreover, companies will need these details as federal court decisions and corresponding USPTO policies have made acquiring protection for certain types of software-related technologies more difficult. For example, in a recent case, a court held that claims direct to a system for tracking the motion of an object relative to a moving reference frame was directed to non-statutory subject matter as a claim did not go through enough detail regarding the technology used. The technology was actually directed to a smart motorcycle helmet, and there, it was probably the first of its kind, but because the claim didn't go into enough details, the claim did not survive the challenge at the court. These are just a few items to consider when pursuing patent protection in the IoT space. And finally, Kenny, IoT cases have many moving parts, which can make infringement claims extremely complicated. What can companies do to help minimize the issues that can arise with complex litigation? Good claim drafting, meaning getting good patents and spending the time up front to get good claims describing the invention in a patent is key. Because when it comes time to litigating a patent, the most important part of the patent is the claims and how the claim describes the invention. It's really an art form. If you have a claim that isn't drafted well, that was drafted maybe 10 years before the litigation even was filed, as someone who's litigating that patent uh, going forward, we have to live with that patent claim and just make do. Some key points or what I think are best practices to make or minimize issues, that challenges that might arise in IoT type of litigation is to draft claims from the onset where you have direct infringement in mind. When you draft a claim and submit it to the patent office, you're saying in that claim, in that description, what you believe the invention to be. However, there are many different ways to say that. What you want to do is say it in a way that makes it easier to assert direct infringement. Now, in the IoT ecosystem, there will be many, many people involved, meaning you've got the consumer, you've got the Wi-Fi network service provider, the uh, Internet provider, the server farm that might be on the Internet that houses the IoT sensor data. You might have third-party companies performing analytics and prediction algorithms on that sensor information on the Internet. And you may have other companies purchasing the analysis and analytics coming out of that. So you have all these different entities. And if you draft a patent claim that pretty much requires multiple entities performing actions in concert to find infringement of the patent, then that makes it extremely difficult to prove direct infringement. What you have there is basically a joint infringement type of uh, situation where you're accusing multiple people acting in concert together to infringe a patent claim. That is a high burden under the patent law. Instead, if at the onset a patent applicant, when pursuing their invention and trying to get a patent on their invention at the patent office, if they draft a claim or prepare a patent application that describes the invention much more succinctly so that it's targeting individual entities in this overall IoT ecosystem, then it makes it much easier to meet your burden uh, proof for proving infringement of the patent. So I think a big piece of advice is that you have to invest time and money in the initial onset of the whole patent process and the patent cycle to get good patents. And quality, in my mind, matters a lot more than quantity. You could have a dozen bad patents, but that one good patent with a good set of well-drafted applications 
and disclosures and claims is the key. Our guests have been Aaron Capron and Kenny Ho, partners at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.